0: So coming in today, I suddenly realised I'd got a bit of my in-ear, earbud-style headphones stuck in my ear. Big drama. Went to the hospital. Couldn't hear anything. Couldn't see it. Couldn't get it out myself. Wonderful nurse who managed to extract it very quickly because I'm thinking I'm going to be there for like five hours and not get here to record the podcast. This is Peter Leonard. He's the chief executive of the Centre for Emotional Health. there was a lot of drama going on, but... I think I managed to remain calm, and that was partly due to having the wonderful Sally with me. So relationships and calm people around you are a big help in situations like that. Still can't hear out of the ear, but here I am. And this is Emotionally Speaking, a new podcast all about emotions, your emotions, and how they affect every aspect of your life. So hello, how are you today? Thanks for joining me for the last episode in this season of Emotionally Speaking. We're already working on plans for season two. I really hope you've enjoyed the show so far, and I hope it's given you some insight into your own emotional life. If this is your first time, I hope you'll catch up on our other episodes. I've spoken with four incredible guests, Kate Garraway, Satish Kumar, Virginia Ironside, and Alastair Gill about what makes up their emotional toolkits. Working at the Centre for Emotional Health, I talk about emotional health all the time, but I've learned so much from this experience and I hope that you will as well. It's given me a lot to reflect on about the joys, challenges and growth that comes from learning about emotions and relationships.
1: I know so many people who have had a tricky relationship with anxiety Mm. who have never spoken about it and I'm guilty of that too. I wouldn't in fact, I haven't told anyone, actually, really. This is the first time I've been really quite open about it. But I would never... I'd never tell my friends what was going on. I didn't tell my parents I was embarrassed.
0: My guest today ran up against an emotional stumbling block pretty early in their career. But their coping mechanism is one that absolutely works for me too. So to find out more, I'm delighted to welcome conductor and broadcaster Ben Jernan. Ben, Hello. Hello. Uh, it's great to to have you with us Ben now you're a conductor and a broadcaster you 've uh, conducted everywhere from the Hollywood Bowl to the Czech Philharmonic, lived life in that kind of conductor spotlight quite literally. Uh, Is it as glamorous as it looks?
1: Well, conducting can be extremely glamorous. You know, I've been very lucky to work with some of the world's best orchestras where we perform, you know, some of the greatest music ever written in the best concert halls around the world. But it can also be not so glamorous when you're in the Premier Inn um, outside (laughs) King's Cross or you're having a soggy breakfast on your own. Everybody thinks that conducting, you know, is incredibly powerful, people jet-setting around the world. and There are elements where it's amazing like that. But also the reality sometimes can be a little grim. Yeah, hard work as well. Very hard work. Mm. I think because your job is always about giving out loads of energy Mm. and also receiving lots of energy. You do. Yeah, you have to be quite careful how you manage
0: that. But
1: it can be exhilarating and it can be exhausting at the same time.
0: So, Ben, let me dive straight in and just ask you, what does emotional health mean to you?
1: Well, I think emotional health has definitely changed for me. When I was younger, I used to think it used to be about being happy all the time. And that strikes me as something that seems a little bit silly now I'm a bit older. But for me, it's trying to find comfort when things around you possibly aren't very comfortable. And having that kind of inner confidence to say, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. I feel really happy with that. I don't feel happy with that. But generally being on a kind of straight and narrow
0: is probably what would define emotional health for me. That's fantastic. Ben you've you've just in that, that those couple of sentences you've hit so many buttons for me in terms of what we talk about at the Centre for Emotional Health about emotional health not being about being happy all the time. For example, you can be grieving and still be emotionally healthy and and that's 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 important. So uh, I guess you must given your kind of work and the environment you're in that must be quite a high pressure environment. It is a high pressure environment. I think Sometimes when
1: you look at conductors from the outside in, it looks like it's just somebody waving a stick around, having a lovely time, and everything happens without them. But I think when you're in that environment and you're responsible for making everything sound great, you know, there's a real strong pulse going through the orchestra that everybody's positively engaged with the music and that together you're building this great thing. That can feel very challenging sometimes because you're extremely passionate about the music, you're passionate about the people around you, but you're also passionate about getting it right and not screwing it up. Yeah. So there's a lot of kind of things going on in your mind when you're conducting. Yeah. But more and more, I'm thinking about stepping back as a conductor. And that's something maybe that we'll talk about a little bit later on but this idea that you can let people around you be responsible for things rather than trying to be like some sort of control freak uh, and make everything wonderful. Yeah,
0: fascinating. I kind of want want to dive into that a bit already, but we'll we'll, we'll come to that later. I I guess I've always looked at conductors and thought that does look like a really responsible Mm -hmm. position, but also potentially quite a powerful one.
1: Yeah, and it can be... Well, power can be exercised in many different ways. It is powerful in the sense that you have the ability to influence a moment at any given time but it's not powerful in terms of discipline i'm not there to tell people off i'm there to encourage the best music making possible that sounds amazing I it's sense. it's honestly it's a blessing the job. It's yeah. really fun and it changes, you know, rehearsals can be very intense and then performances sometimes can feel so exhilarating and free mm-hmm. like you're riding a wild horse and then sometimes it can be a little bit disappointing. You know, it's yeah. it's a whole host of different emotions being a conductor.
0: Yeah. I want to drill down a bit into some of those moments now uh, that that you've mentioned if I can. Can you give us an example perhaps of a an experience, a moment or a series of them where you've had to navigate them in a, in a way that you've kind of used your emotional health or had to think about your emotional health in a way that that has been challenging, perhaps? Well, I never
1: thought about my emotional health until I was 21. And when I remember being a teenager thinking, what is stress? You know, you can always fix something. No problem whatsoever. Little did I realise that once you become an adult, you know, <laughs> things get, you know bills arrive. Um, but I was 21 and I was watching a concert in the Barbican. I was a third-year student at the Guildhall School of Music. Um, And I had one year left, halfway through my degree, and I suddenly found I couldn't breathe in the audience when I was watching the London Symphony Orchestra and my teacher was playing in the orchestra, an orchestra I admired since I started at the Guildhall. And I I remember having this very strange experience where I couldn't quite catch my breath and it just escalated from that where I started feeling very panicky. I'd never had that feeling before. I didn't quite understand what was going on. So I managed to like ride it out for about 20 minutes and it just got worse. And so I ran out of the auditorium in a very dramatic fashion. And I was just like, lay on one of those, they have like soft areas in the (laughs) public Very dramatic way, you know. And then someone called an ambulance, of course, because they have to. And then I ended up in... um, accident and emergency where I did have a chest infection but that's besides the point this was my first experience of knowing what it's like to panic and wanting to run away and wanting to get out of a situation and I think that then made me so incredibly nervous about a going back into the Barbican again which is ridiculous because I was training to work (laughs) you know in that very space I became very superstitious about what I ate because I went to a very well-known restaurant beforehand and was like, I could never go in that restaurant ever again. And even simple things like going to the supermarket, walking around, being around people I didn't know, I felt so, well, just so rotten, really. And that the typical anxiety symptoms of blurred vision, you feel a bit weird, you feel a bit tingly, you can't quite breathe. And it was also at the point when my career was starting to take off. And it was quite discombobulating in a way, because on the one hand, when you were Young conductor, and you're starting to work with some of the world's best orchestras. And the gigs are really good at the beginning because everyone's like, oh, I wonder what they're like. You know, let's kind of grab these young hot things while they're there. I was flying around for the first time on my own, traveling on my own, staying in hotels on my own, conducting orchestras in different languages. And I would be conducting these amazing orchestras. And inside, there'd be this most magnificent firework display going off where mid-concert, my heart would be racing. I'd feel like I wanted to throw up and sit on the loo at the same time. It all just felt really
0: horrible. (laughs) You had had an incredible way of painting a picture in all sorts of ways. (laughs) The image of you laying in the barbecue is is quite incredible. That feels like a lot going on, but kind of came on very quickly and then then kind of stayed with you for a bit. Is Is that right?
1: It did. It did come on very quickly. And then it stayed with me probably for about two and a half years. And I tried all sorts of, you know, little different things. And, you know, i you know, try and sit and do meditation once every month, you know, which is clearly useless. Or I'd try and have a hot bath or try and ignore it. But I found it quite difficult at that point mm. to really understand why it had happened and why, for the first time in my life, my emotional health wasn't stable. Yeah.
0: and 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 at that point you say you didn't kind of know what was going on or what was happening. Where, where Was there any way you could go? Was there? How did, how did you kind of, what did you, where did you look to for any help or support?
1: Well, first of all, I went through the whole medical profession yep. and had, you know, gazillions of tests and I was passed from pillar to post going, what is wrong with me? I just don't understand. Then I tried, there was a student uh, counsellor who I spoke to and then I tried getting a massage every week. <laughs>
0: Sounds very nice, but yeah, it's not- very
1: nice. But I don't think it really deals with the actual problem. <laughs> but I, I did try and exercise a bit more, and I think that might be the key for me. Okay. And I found that the more I moved, the better I felt. Yeah. And also, just stop thinking about it, because the problem with anxiety is that it's so ever present in your mind. And the principal problem is that you're you're worrying too much. And then if someone tells you to think about something you can then get yourself slightly tied up in that obsessive thinking and in a way that was just constantly keeping that fire burning and that I was looking for it to be okay but but kind of at the same time it was making it worse
0: yeah and there's something about i mean listening to the kind of things that you were you were doing and you were going through you know we talked at the beginning about the kind of high pressure of the role and 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 the sense of responsibility in a in a sense you could say well yeah absolutely you're going to be anxious about that that you know even if you're training for it even if it's the thing you want to do it's still a lot isn't it Mm. so so there's something about the anxiety that comes with that which is is, in a sense, normal in that, you know, you would feel anxious about it. Yeah. But then also that sense of, if I haven't felt this before, that that and, and, and people listening may well have the, a similar experience of, oh, what do I do about this? You know, this is a new feeling, and I, and I don't know how to process this and what to do. And, and, and I think in my experience, people don't talk about it enough, which is why then when, you, when, when someone does experience it, as you did, it's like, oh, what do I do about this? Where do I go? Mm.
1: I know so many people
0: who have had
1: a tricky relationship with anxiety, mm. who have never spoken about it. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that too. I wouldn't... In fact, I haven't told anyone actually, really. This is the first time I've been really quite open about it. But I would never... I'd never tell my friends what was going on. Yeah. I didn't tell my parents I was embarrassed. But I do think you're absolutely right that it's a normal human emotion.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's just when it gets out of whack,
0: yes. that it can be a very kind of scary yeah. experience. And I think it's quite easy to get out of whack, I think. Especially because it can be quite an intense, kind of intense feeling. Um, yeah, it's hard to sit with, isn't it, sometimes? And I also
1: think you can feel as well that you're stuck in this endless loop of it's never going to get better. yeah. Um, why do I feel so crappy? Why do I feel so... Um, well, that you just can't trust your body. Mm. And I think that's a scary thought for lots of people. Yeah, And that was scary for me, but... It does get better.
0: And, and what's really interesting, he's talking about not being able to trust your body, is that for you, from what I'm hearing, the, the key to beginning to change it was your body in the physical exercise. Exactly. Which is fascinating. Exactly. The, when I started moving and I started
1: running, especially this cardiovascular exercise, there was something that kind of burned off the adrenaline. Mm. You can get rid of that angst, and like you said, you can't avoid stress. I mean, stress is an inevitable part of life. And I used to try and avoid stress and then be more stressed that I hadn't avoided it. (laughs) Um, But I think if you can run off a little bit, then you stand a much better chance of feeling good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's something about the fact that you know you're building muscle you're building strength as part of that that workout but alongside that there's also kind of emotional health muscle for want of a better expression that you're building
1: yeah i feel very resilient when i exercise yeah i don't wake up every morning feel like i've been run over by a bus mm. i feel oh yeah i could go for a run yeah today yeah. yeah
0: going forward yeah looking to the future if you if you kind of think about that what what where's where's the anxiety now how does it is it completely vanished you're not stressed and nervous at all does it show itself in in smaller ways what does it what does it look like now yeah
1: it's definitely completely different now I remember someone saying to me that you will get better when I was at my worst and that was the best thing I'd ever heard because I didn't believe at the time it could get better but now I mean anxiety doesn't go away because we are programmed to feel it but I feel now that it's It's kind of like the warm embers of a fire. It's just there. And I know that sometimes it heats up and gets a little too hot, but I know that that it's A, nothing to worry about, B, that it's normal, and C, that I know what to do now. If it starts getting slightly out of control, that I know that I need to exercise. I know that I need to stay hydrated. I know that I need to just take a step back and think, okay, what am I missing in my life right now that could make this better? You know, what is it trying to tell me? Um, And how can I respond to that in a positive and calm way and not panic? And I think as well, when you're prone to anxiety, you're prone to anxious thoughts, you just have to remind yourself now and again that what I'm thinking right now might not be really what I actually think. It might be influenced by the way I feel and physically and don't always trust (laughs) sometimes how you feel.
0: Yeah. Now that, that, I mean, you've just talked about self-awareness in a really kind of clear way there. And we have a model of emotional health made up of seven assets. And one of the assets, uh, I would probably argue, perhaps the foundation one is self-awareness. Mm. That sense of what's going on for me, how am I feeling, um, um, and being able to then kind of take that forward. It sounds like you, your self-awareness has really, would you say it's developed significantly since that laying prone in the Barbican? <laughs>
1: since that day of dizziness. Um, I think so. I mean, as a conductor, you do have to be very self-aware anyway. But I think I've definitely become more aware of how I feel. And also people around me. I used to be very affected by, you know, if someone was really angry with me or if someone was feeling uncomfortable with something I'd done. I feel terrible. But I've developed this kind of, A, a shield against things that aren't very positive, but B, a kind of all-embracing feeling towards other people now so it's not just solely about how i feel and that i've managed to turn what was an incredibly kind of insular experience and something that was going off inside into a kind of more collaborative approach with everything yeah. in terms of emotional health
0: yeah i'm reading a fantastic book at the moment it's called the joy of being selfish and that that, that talks very clearly about the benefit of setting up that boundary between uh, yourself and others and and there's an element of healthy relationships which does involve that boundary setting that you know I'm not going to take on that person's issue you know yeah. Um that that's so tricky though isn't it it's is very hard because don't you think as humans we just
1: we kind of want to help yep. and, but we're also really nosy at the same time <laughs> Yeah. and you want yep. all the gossip and you you want to know all the dirt that is a really tricky thing but I think boundaries are really hard for everyone to establish yep. because sometimes you don't want to be seen as being horrible no, or kind of pushing someone away but actually sometimes, like you say, putting those boundaries in really helps.
0: Yeah, it does. It's a kind of whole range of things that are kind of coming into play here around around you and your emotional health and how you uh, are, are able to present yourself and, and work in a way which is, you know, not only helpful for you, but also for those you're kind of working with and responsible for. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's not just about me. It's about everybody around me. And kind of, I think as a conductor, as well, there's that awful thing of, the more relaxed you are, the more relaxed everyone else is, (laughs) which is a blessing in disguise because sometimes you think, oh no, I'm not feeling very relaxed today. But I do think, especially in a group of 70 musicians, anxiety can spread like wildfire. You know, sometimes it's 7.30 and you're going on stage and everyone's feeling slightly nervous and it's all about just how you harness that energy and what I kind of put through myself to them and what they give back as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: Listening to all the things that you've said and, and, and uh, so much resonates with, with, with my experience, but I, I suspect the experience of people listening as well. If someone, someone's at home and they're, they're constructing their own emotional health toolkits, the things that will enable them to navigate those kind of experiences, what would be the top things that yeah. you say, okay, you need this in your toolkit?
1: I would say the most helpful thing in your toolkit would be find an exercise or a movement that really works for you. Something that you come back from and you feel really good about yourself and the adorphins are flowing and you feel great. I'd also say address really basic things like nutrition and hydration. They're so important. And I think the third thing in my toolkit probably is knowing that things will be how they will be. And just reminding yourself that it might not be what you thought it could be, but it will be something and it will mean something to someone. So don't always strive for this kind of perfection in everything you do, because there will be times when it's disappointing and times when it's amazing. But know that what you're doing is just fine.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Ben, you've hit so many of our of our buttons that we use at, uh, at the Centre for Emotional Health around self awareness, self agency, personal power, all of those kind of amazing mm-hmm. things that, that that really help help with emotional health, uh, which has been fantastic. I could listen to you for hours. Your um, your the pictures you paint are just really brilliant. Where can people go to find out a bit more about you? you got a website?
1: I do have a website. It's www.benjernan.co.uk. Fantastic. Um, I'm also quite active on the old Instagram and Twitter.
0: You are yes. I've been internet stalking you ahead of this oh, gosh what have you found well i found it was your birthday oh well that's a good thing this was a good thing um and people could also listen to you on a podcast i believe
1: uh yeah we're making well we've made a podcast it's called monsters of music it's on bbc sounds that uh, sounds intriguing it's me and the comedian tom allen and a different guest each episode and we unpack the darker side to our well-known <laughs> composers so people like anton Bruckner or percy granger we kind of get into bed with the composers, find out their darkest secrets
0: and their wonderful desires and unpack all of those. That is the best trailer for a podcast I think I have heard ever. Ben, it's been an absolute delight talking to you thank you for sharing what is clearly a significant and personal story but i'm i'm sure i found it really helpful i'm sure people listening will have found it helpful as well in terms of top tips and ways of uh, of kind of navigating those events and and developing your emotional health thank you so much for your time and for for sharing your story with us you are so welcome and thank you for listening to this first series of emotionally speaking Throughout the series, I've asked all my guests to contribute one of their coping mechanisms to the Emotionally Speaking Toolkit. These are the tips they use when their emotional health is tested. Well, our toolkit is pretty full now, and I hope that you might find at least one of them useful when you're feeling emotionally challenged. There'll be more episodes of Emotionally Speaking to come, so if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and watch this feed for more episodes. Emotionally Speaking is presented by me, Peter Leonard, And thanks to my colleague, Sally Alden, for her support in making these podcasts. Peter's the Chief Executive of the Centre for Emotional Health, and you can find out about their work and training courses by visiting their current website, familylinks.org.uk. The series was produced by Freya Helier and Alexandra Quinn, and it's brought to you by the team at Loftus Media.